But with those words, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Amos and chapter 7. Amos chapter 7. A quick reminder of the ground that we have covered. Uh, the sermon series is major lessons in uh, the minor prophets. And uh, we have said that all these minor prophets, 12 of them, spoke into the life of Israel and Judah due primarily to their grievous sin of idolatry. But it was not just idolatry. They were also guilty of uh, sinning against one another. And we shall see that again even today. So the message is, uh, at least three of the books were, um, rather four of them were before Israel went into captivity. Another four were during their years in captivity. And the final four was when they had come back from uh, captivity. So as we go through Amos, remember we've done Hosea, we've done Joel, and now we are in Amos. We're about to finish. I was hoping we'd finish today, but the more I read chapter 9, the more I felt we really need to leave it on its own. So we have one more sermon in, um, in, in the book of Amos, and then finally we jump into Obadiah. I would like to say that that will be the four books, more or less, that are speaking into Israel, and they did not listen. Well, we are now in Amos, and, and so far we've broken it down into two chapters each sermon. In the first two chapters, basically what we saw was that God was sovereign over all nations, and sovereign over Israel, and consequently, he was going to deal with them, each one, according to their sins at his own time. God is in control of the whole of the universe, of the whole of the planet Earth, of all the nations, not just his people. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, we noticed how God singled out the nation of Israel for discipline. So whereas previously it was all nations plus Israel, now it was Israel alone that he concentrated on, that he was going to discipline them. And he was going to do so because of his electing love. They were his special people. He does not treat them or relate to them the way he relates to all the other nations. And therefore when they sin against him, those are sins against love, against marital love, and consequently deserve sterner punishment. And then the last two chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 6, we were seeing God telling his people what they should do to avert punishment. And hence, a topic like today's theme, Repent, or perish, which continues even in today's message, is one that uh, was very relevant in those two chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 6. Turn from your sins and leave. As it turns out, they still did not do so. Well, today we are seeing God using images to illustrate why punishment 
was inevitably coming? Why punishment coming? He's using picture language one after the other to make Amos himself understand why finally punishment must come to the leadership of Israel and to the whole of Israel itself. And I think it it's again speaks of the love of God that he is still speaking. And in speaking, he's now even bringing in nature, so to speak. The kind of things that we, we normally relate to without thinking of any spiritual implications. He is drawing even those in in order to convince his people through his servant that judgment must come. You can't continue playing church, playing God, playing religion, and they still expect to get away with it. You can't. So let's quickly look at uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8 in that light. And you will notice a number of times this phrase, this is what the Lord God showed me. You see it in verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Verse 4. This is what the Lord God showed me. Verse 7. This is what he showed me. And chapter 8, verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. So it's fairly evident that that's the theme that we are seeing through these chapters. The Lord is showing him something. And what he's showing him actually is in a vision. But it is almost as real as though it was happening right there. I want to suggest to you that the first two visions were meant to bring out the, the effect of intercession the effect of prayer, that if there had been no prayer, disaster, punishment would have already befallen the people of Israel. So let's quickly read verse 1 to verse 6. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, and there is the intercession, Oh Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The effect, the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be said the Lord. Verse 4. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire. And it devoured the great deep, in other words, going into the ocean, and was eating up the land. So it even came out of the ocean or the sea, and then 
even beginning to devour the land. Obviously, Amos, seeing that, responds. Then I said, Oh Lord God, please cease. Previously he said, Forgive. Now, cease. Stop what you're doing, oh Lord. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord's response. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This points to New Testament areas of application. The first is with respect to our interceding Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is really his intercessory work at the right hand of the Father that holds back God's judgment and holds back God's discipline, especially upon his people who are in a backslidden state because he has paid for their sin. And consequently, he's able to put it before the Father so that judgment is averted. It shall not be, said the Lord. But I think there's a second application, and it is where the church itself prays. Because when there is backsliding, often it's not everybody who has backslidden. There's always a remnant. There's always those who are praying. And that prayer remnant sometimes is just ordinary church members. But often it is the leadership of the church. It is those who are given responsibility over God's people. And God's people are continuing in sin. And their leaders are broken. Broken. Utterly broken. And consequently, they are the ones who are pleading and praying, Lord, please spare the church judgment. Please. Please do not allow your wrath, which we deserve, to come upon us. And thankfully, intercessory prayer is effective. The Lord's prayer for us in glory is definitely effective. But so is it here on earth when we pray. <clears throat> When we pray for one another, when we pray as church leaders for the flock, God may say, it shall not be. It shall not be. The locusts that are spoken about here, you can imagine why Amos was moved to plead. Because as he said here, it was when the latter growth is just beginning to sprout. In other words, it, the, the initial harvest was already done. It's been consumed. 
Now it is, the new sprout is just beginning. This is our hope. And then the locusts arrive in order to just consume all that. Obviously, we will starve. Or, in the second picture, as I already showed you in verse 4, this fire that can survive the water, now coming onto the land and beginning to destroy the vegetation on the land, we are finished. We cannot survive. Hence the prayer that is taking place there. So let me at least apply this. Are we praying for God's church? Are we praying for one another? Are we praying especially for those who are Christians? At least they claim to be, but are living as if they are non-Christians. Are we praying for them? Are we praying for them by name? Are we doing so? Are we taking time to realize that they are asking God's judgment upon themselves? That they are. That they are playing where angels fear to tread. And that God can catch up with them in terms of temporal judgment. We're not talking about hell here. We're talking about temporal judgment. And it's, it's terrible in and, of, in and of itself. Are we praying? Do those people have a place in our prayer lives? Intercession. Intercession. But then, let's go on. Because... There is a time when intercession fails. And that's the title of my message, when intercession fails. And we have this in verse 7 all the way to the end of chapter 8, when intercession fails. And God uses two pictures there. The first picture is that of a plumb line. Let's quickly look at it. Verse 7. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Let me quickly explain what is happening here. A plumb line is what uh, a, a builder uses in order to ensure that buildings are vertical. We today 
speak um, about other instruments other than plumb lines. We speak about a spirit level. It's basically the same uh, instrument. So you used it especially when a, um, a builder is in the process of building. He would raise it up, it has a weight under it, and because of the force of gravity, inevitably the string would be straight. And so if any structure does, you don't use a plumb line, inevitably the human eye is likely to fail. And so in the process, the, the structure is likely to be bent. And then, obviously, it has to be knocked down. I've probably given this story before. Um, that happened to me once. We were putting up some uh, buildings, and I went there. I thought the wall was not straight while the builder was still working. So I began to look around for a spirit level so that I could see whether it's, the problem is with my eye. And I couldn't see. So I, I asked him, I said, where's your spirit level? He says, I left it at home. I said, so how do you know that this is straight? He said, I, could, I can see with my eyes. Well, I fired him right on the spot. Because that's the reason why you need these instruments. It's because the human eye is not enough for this. Well, God has given the plumb line by which we are able to tell righteousness and godliness and holiness, and it is his word. He's given it by which we are to test ourselves. But when a people are building their lives, building their institutions, building, as in the case here, the nation of Israel, without the plumb line, disaster falls. And that's what was happening with Israel. Here, in the times of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, by that time, Israel was no longer showing that it was the righteous kingdom of God. Because God's own plumb line was not being followed. He said, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, but that has been overlooked entirely. And now he is saying, I will never again pass by them, and instead I'm about to destroy them. The other way of looking at it is that he brings his plumb line and he finds everything crooked. Crooked. And he says, I detest what I am seeing here. I'm not coming back. That's what Amos was saying to the Israelites. But listen to the response in verse 10 downwards. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, <coughs> sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you. That's the way they're understanding it. That he just 
wants to, you to be overthrown. So he's speaking terrible things about you. Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile and away from his land. So Amaziah is saying to the king, we can't take this anymore. This guy is making us uncomfortable by the kind of message he's continuing to give. Come on, Jeroboam. Do something about it. Shut him up. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Well, Amos responds, and basically his response amounts to this, that uh, what I'm doing was not my choice. It was not my view of career progress. It's not. It's the Lord who brought me to this job, and it's the Lord who gave me his word. <clears throat> Verse 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a headsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock <clears throat> Sorry, let me drink some water here. From following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Jacob, I mean Isaac. That's what you're telling me. But now let me tell you what he is saying. And what he is saying is that same king that you're going to, to complain to about me, his reign is about to end in a very terrible way. Verse 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife, that is the wife of Jeroboam, shall be a prostitute in the city. And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. And your land shall be divided by a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, meaning in captivity. And Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. So the punishment is coming. You don't like it? But it is coming because God has measured with a plumb line and found this place lacking. Brethren, at this point, Amos is not even trying to say to God, God, no, you can't do this. Why? Well, the very people that he's concerned about 
are saying, shut up. That's what they're telling him. They're saying, shut up. They're saying, get away from me. Get away from me. At that point, he's now saying, fine. But let me tell you what this God has said. He is closing down this place. Now later on, as we shall see from Amos 9, he does speak about further trouble that will be coming upon these people. And in fact, it is in uh, chapter 8, sorry. We will be seeing it in a moment, but let me at least read it to you. Verse 11, chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, <clears throat> not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So they are saying, shut up, get away from here. And he says, fine, it's going to happen, as we shall see in chapter 8. It's going to happen. But that does not mean that you'll avert the judgment. Judgment is coming. And the same Jeroboam you are going to speak to, to get rid of me, is going to have a complete disaster in his home. A complete disaster. I think that in itself tells us, brethren, that there are times when God's word is uncomfortable. It is. Because God wants genuine holiness. He wants genuine godliness. He wants genuine Christ-centeredness in us. He does. Now, if we become the kind of people who say we don't like that kind of preaching, we just want the kind of preaching that often has been marked by motivational speakers. You know, believe in yourself. This year is the year of victory. The year of abundance. The year of success. God has told me that somebody here today is going... If that's the kind of preaching you want, go ahead, you'll get it. But let me tell you, disaster will still fall. You can't bribe God. You can't. God is absolutely holy. It's his very nature. He is holy. You can't change that. Well, in chapter 8, as he goes on now to speak about judgment upon the whole of the nation of Israel, the thing that I want you to notice is how their religion had really become empty of real life. How it had become empty of real life. But it begins with a picture, and that's our last picture. Well, there's one at the beginning of chapter 9, but we'll leave that one 
for the next time. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. And then this is what he saw, and this is what he said. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. The place is silent. Silent. Because of death. What is the picture of this basket of summer fruit? Again, it's something we can all relate to. And it is the fact that a time comes when the fruit that's in the trees is now ripe. It's time to get those fruits down. The time of waiting is over. The period that you may have been concentrating on before, okay, some more water. <laughs> yeah, I asked for it. <laughs> Too much coughing. Thank you very much, Eric. In other words, the period of waiting is over. What you were planting, sowing for, you are now reaping. That's really all that this picture was meant to be. A basket of summer fruit. It is the period of sowing was over. The period of nurturing what was sown was over. Now it is a period of reaping. And what they are reaping is disaster and death. And he is saying, there I am seeing it. Why? Well, listen to the kind of religion that was there. Verse 4 to verse 6. Brethren, it's disheartening. But let's not think that this remained with Israel. It is true even today in the Christian church. Hear this, verse 4. You who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. So these are people who are still very much part of the religious life of Israel, but listen to what they are doing. They are trampling over those who are needy, those who are poor in the land, saying, here's the second, when will the new moon be over? Now the new moon was a religious celebration or commemoration. In other words, during that period, you were to keep away from your normal business. And when the new moon begins, they are saying, yeah, bah, when will this finish so that we may go and sell grain? Similarly, and the supper. They're thinking, hey, when will it finish? 
so that we may do what? So that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah. Now this is showing the corruption that is there, even in what they are going to do. That we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. That we may buy the poor for silver, in other words, for next to nothing, which is what he goes on to say again, and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Chaff is what you throw away, but you hide it and put a bit of wheat at the top and sell. Sadly, church life can be like that. Church life can be like that. Someone was just telling me this, this week that one of the things that made them leave their church was when they listened to the conversation between the priest and other priests as they were driving past a bar and one said to the others, Mana, this is where we come after we have finished our work at church. And that person was completely disgusted to realize that this is the life that happens when we are not there. The point is, it matters to God, first of all, our attitude towards the things of God. Do we look forward to worship? Do we? Or does it abruptly stop our activities? And therefore, it is ah. It's weekend already. It's church already. It is again another church event. Again. Ah. Now, the church leaders may not hear those complaints. God does. When you are in the context of church, and you're already beginning to sort of peep at your watch secretly. You know, church is taking rather long. But you don't do it when you are watching your favorite movie on that boob tube. You don't. Or when you're scrolling through social media for hours upon hours. You don't. Or when you are in a stadium watching football. You don't. God takes note of the attitude of backsliding that is in the souls of his people. That reading the Bible, within two, three minutes, you already want to shut it too much. But reading so many other worthless things goes on for hours. He's aware of that. That there is a dead ritual here. But what is worse 
is when after that you go on to have dealings with people and the dealings are completely unethical. Completely unethical. That you are functioning like a non-believer, maybe even worse, out there during the week. It matters to God. He's conscious of it. So we need to ask ourselves honestly, how does my religion stand? It, it, maybe let me put it this way. It might help you. If every member of KBC was like you, would this church be open? Would it? If every member of this church was like you, just multiply yourself into 400. Just the way you are going about your Christianity. Multiply it because we are, there are about 400 church members here. So exactly the way you are, multiply it by 400. Would there be Kabata Baptist Church? Would these workers here receive salaries this month? Would they? Because of the way you are giving. Would some ministries be functional? Would this building have even been open today? If everybody was with your attitude, would there have been a seminar yesterday? Would there have been one? Because ultimately, that's the point here. You see, whenever, even in Israel, whenever we speak about this case, it's not like everyone was like this. No, there was obviously a remnant, and we shall learn that next time. Because it is because of the remnant that Israel was finally able to be brought back into the promised land. Because of the remnant. But it is when the majority of the people become like become like this, that God just says, enough is enough. Close down this place. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account? And everyone mourn who dwells in it. And then he uses the imagery of the Nile, which was a major river. It's like the Zambezi here in Zambia. And all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed up about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. Again, the judgment continues. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and boldness on every head. And this is not natural boldness. It is people just shaving their heads 
as a, as a statement of grief. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. And then verse 11 and 12, I already quoted, remember, the famine for the word. But listen to the way he speaks of the finality of this judgment. Verse 13 and 14. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, that is uh, an idol, and say, as your God lives or done, and as the way of Beersheba lives again, that is an idol. They shall fall and never rise again. When intercession fails, God has a chalk line drawn on the ground that is invisible to our eyes. It's invisible to our eyes. But when God's people become lukewarm towards him, a time comes when he spits them out of his mouth, when he punishes, when he disciplines. How far is that line from us? How far? I sometimes fear, especially for the Western Church, that it may have begun to happen. But let's not sit comfortably because we too might soon begin to invite God's discipline upon ourselves. So let me quickly wrap up with a few concluding words. First of all, God's love is a love that not only delays judgment but sends appeals. But also, it's a love that listens to intercession. It does. And therefore, let's thank God that we have an interceding Savior at his right hand who speaks on our behalf with blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Otherwise, all of us, all of us, we know that all of us, would have received God's judgment, God's discipline, God's chastisement by now. But let's also be a praying people, as I already said, praying for the church, for revival in the church, praying for our families, our family members, praying for them, and then praying for the nation as well that God may not come down in judgment, a judgment that we genuinely deserve, but that instead he may act in mercy. Let's pray for our leaders that they may continue to be faithful leaders who respond to God's word individually and collectively. 
rather than who shut their ears to the clear word of God. Let's pray that our leaders may be broken by the sin that is in the church so that they might be our chief intercessors, our chief intercessors. Pleading with God to hold back his judgment upon the church. Let us keep praying that the church might remain salt and light in the world. Because when we become lukewarm towards our responsibilities, we may just cross that line. We may. When God says, enough is enough. May he help us to be faithful. May he help us to to be a praying people, interceding. May it be that we may not reach that level when intercession fails. Amen.